Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Fourth book of the New Testament. And verse number 6. And our message today really is focusing on verses 51 through 71. But I'm going to jump up and I want to read 47 to 51 as well to get us started this morning. So let's do that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. There we go. I told you it was going to be mentioned that in a minute. So that's where, we're, that's where our, our jump off point really is, right there in 51. So let's keep going. 52. Surprise, surprise, the Jews are bothered. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of this flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Who's excited about that concept right there without understanding it? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus taught these things. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he, is, he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is about, this passage is about fully believing in Jesus as Messiah trusting Him for eternal life, for true life on this earth, but eternal life, and repenting of us and clinging to all that is Him. Let me say that part again. Repenting of us, repenting of absolutely everything that we are so that we can cling fully and wholly to all of who He is. That's what this passage is really about. Eating flesh and drinking blood sounds crazy. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it all. And you'll understand it. Let's go through these verses. And let's discuss what it is exactly that Jesus is saying and how we can apply that to our lives. 51. This is, this is our Christmas season just about upon us. Next week we'll start our Advent. And um, we'll burn some candles and do ribbon dancing maybe or something. I don't know. But well, probably not ribbon dancing. That's just my go-to joke. 
Um, but here Jesus is talking about himself coming down to earth from heaven. This is our, what we celebrate at Christmas. God in the flesh. I, am live, I want you to make sure that you understand God came in flesh too. Remember, we, we know that Jesus is God. We have to remember Jesus is man. Actually, at the end of this passage, we're going to hear Jesus become sad. Well, I'll point it out to you, but Jesus, in the, in the, the nuance of the language where the translation loses, Jesus is sad because Jesus is in the flesh. He is human like we are. It just is a beautiful reminder that he deals with and faced everything that we face. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is alluding here to his crucifixion, his death on the cross, his body torn, and his blood flowing down. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. So let me just say, if I were to bring up a picture... Anthony, come here. Come here, Anthony. He didn't know I was going to do this to him. But if I had Anthony standing here, and what if, and I could have grabbed a picture of him this morning if I'd have thought about it, what if I had a big picture of him standing over here? And I said to you, this is my son, Anthony. My guess is that none of you would think that when I have to punish Anthony, I spank the picture. Or that I kiss it goodnight. Or that I tell it to do its chores you would understand that it was a representation. It was a symbol. It was a, it was a concept that, that, that you know that there's a person represented by the picture. If I hand someone my driver's license, they don't have a conversation with you. Stana. Boo. Oh, I mean, yeah. Um, but we understand, looking back on the times, we get the whole picture. Remember, we get all of who Jesus is. We get all of his teaching. And we've heard, all of us have heard bits and pieces of it. So for us, it's easy to go. We've taken communion before. We understand a little bit that this is an analogy that Jesus is talking about. This is him discussing in, in a picture form himself. Okay, so this is exactly what Jesus is doing. From here through this, the end of this until we get to verse 62, really Jesus is just giving this analogy of, who it is that I am and what you have to do to have me and have your sins taken away because I am the Lamb of God. I've got to point you to that direction so you have to understand that. When he says, eat this flesh, he is talking about, he's not talking about pulling off pieces of his body and eating it. That's just disgusting. We get that. The concept to the Jews was even more disgusting because they wouldn't eat meat that had any blood left in it. See, for me, I'm not eating a steak that's cooked. If it ain't got something dripping out of it, I don't want it. See, but Jewish law, they couldn't even touch that kind of stuff. So this was blowing their minds. They are, they are taken aback by this analogy that Jesus goes into with eating of his own flesh and drinking of the blood. We said it last week. We said it the week before. What this really is, is Jesus saying, I am spiritual life. I am spiritual truth. I am not here to fill your bellies. I did it once when I fed the thousands, but that was just to prove to you my power, and you're missing the point. All you want me to do is continue to feed your bellies. Okay, so that's where we're at. Jesus is trying to make them understand they have to seek satisfaction in Him and in the spirit of who He is, not in what He can do for them. And so my prayer today is that God would show us that the, the Spirit of God would show that our hearts exactly who Jesus is a little bit more today. That we would get it just a little bit better. That we would grow a little closer. That we would understand the Spirit and His working in us just a little bit better. And so I, my, 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 my desire, that I love the song, we sang it, I picked it on purpose because of this passage of Scripture, 
Is our desire, is our hunger really for Jesus? Is our soul's appetite attracted to Jesus or is it being filled with other things? This is what Jesus is talking about. We'll get at the very end, we're going to talk about the two points out of this major passage that are really big for us in life. So verse 52, the Jews, strong and sharp arguing, the Jews disputed amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Insane, heretical, blasphemous, lunatic type statement. We would all agree? I think we would all agree. If I come to your house and you say, hey, I say, what's for dinner? Well, I cut my leg off and we're going to have it. (laughs) I'm done, I'm out. I'm glad you did that, but, but I'm gone. Or... Hey, I went to the morgue and got some body parts. We're going to have these for dinner. That, that, that's what these guys are hearing. And they, they don't understand. They don't see Jesus with spiritual eyes at all. They're missing him. All they see is him as this, this, this mad magician, this magic worker. And so that's what they're hearing. And like I said, the law was so offensive to them, they wouldn't even touch this. And, and, and so is Jesus actually endorsing cannibalism? Well, we know that he's not. So Jesus gives them two responses. Well, he gives them really three. First, he gives them a negative response in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, positive response. Whoever feeds on, this, on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so we get the negative of what happens if we don't, the positive of what happens if we do, and then the why. Why is this matter? On what basis does this make sense, Jesus? And he says, 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He's not talking about this ginger ale I'm drinking. He's talking about what he told the woman at the well, that he can spring forth life in her and she would never thirst again. This is a spiritual concept. Also, we saw this when we looked at John 1 and verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's just repeating what we've already heard testified about who He was. So just as we are dependent on food to live, and we are, right? We have to have it. They say um, a person can live, I think it's 43 days without food before their body shuts down. And... It's only 20, it's less than 20 days without water of any kind. Because you get water from food if you eat something. So, but if you have neither, it's like 14 days or 13 days until your body starts really shutting down. I mean, that's crazy. So we understand that we need physical nourishment, right? None of us, none of us have missed that. Um, some of us, uh, myself, have never missed that. But, so as we are dependent on this thing, we have to see that Jesus is telling us, yes, I understand you are dependent on food to live this physical life, but you are also dependent on food that is greater than that for your life in Christ, for to know Christ, for to know Jesus, uh, God the Father, for to know the working of the Holy Spirit. You need true food that, remain, that maintains the true life. We need life-giving true food to grant us truth, to grant us eternal life. Jesus is simply working as hard as he can to make them see and repeating and repeating and repeating. And I know that as we've gone through chapter 6, it sounds a little redundant. But there's a reason that Jesus found it important to repeat it. So therefore, we must need it repeated. Maybe just me. Jesus wants them to understand. I and I alone am what you need to live 
today and forever. So he talks about it. He talks about what this looks like in verse 56 and 57. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This is the same concept that we hear talked about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, how they abide together. As the living Father sent me, verse 57, and I, and I, and, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Boom. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. Today I, I, I titled this Unity with Christ. Jesus here is not saying, you're going to literally eat my flesh. What he's saying is, if you participate in bringing on who I am into you, you become a union with the Father. You are become united with Jesus. You become united with the works of the Holy Spirit in your life. Je- Jesus is trying to teach them that this is a mutual indwelling together. This is not a simple, I can do for you and you walk away. Jesus is in us and lives with us and pushes us. And the Holy Spirit is our backbone. He is our strength. He is our sustenance. He goes before us to prepare the way for us. He, he is our helper in time of need. He is our prayer in times where we can't utter the words to, to the Father. He, he is all these things. And that's what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. You guys are living in this law and you're trying to figure out how to get to Jesus or to the Father. And I'm telling you, I get you to the Father. He says, what I am, you are. What I do, you do. What I have, you get. Where I go, you will go one day. Just as he is viewed by God, we then become viewed in the same way. This is my beloved son. God the Father looks at me and says the same thing. God the Father looks down and he says, you have Jesus on you, ladies. You are my daughter. You are heirs to the throne of God. You have been brought in. Jesus is saying, we need to unify. You have got to become part of who I am. He says it again later, I am the vine and you are the branches. It's the same concept. A little, a little less gory. But it's the exact same idea. Whoever abides in me, I abide in him. We are unified with Christ. Therefore, we are identified with Christ and we are no longer our own. So I got a question. When God looks at us, from heaven He looks down and He sees you sitting there. Are you ever alone? Nah. No, because when He looks down, He sees you as He sees His Son, as He sees Christ. That's invigorating. That's encouraging. That's unity with Christ. That is being so tied in that we cannot be separated by anything. I think I shared this a few weeks ago with some people. Maybe I, maybe I shared it in one of my messages, but you know, with our kids being adopted, we, we see this a little, maybe we see it a little differently than some people do because we look at this firsthand a lot what it looks like. And recently we got a really cool piece of paper in the mail. In a, we got a piece of paper and it says on it, um, it says Sutton Elise Dean on it. And we finally get to change her name at school and in her medical records and these things. And for us, that's a big deal. That's a big deal because now we get to be unified with that name. And that's just a name. But we sat as a family, we, we prayed and we thanked God for it. We cried together and we enjoyed it. 
and Sutton's teachers celebrated with her, just like some of the other ones did when they, were, when they first got theirs. How much greater is this unity that I have with Jesus through the Holy Spirit's work in me to the Father? How much greater is that to me than just my last name? I need to live in that. I need to celebrate in that. I need to let other things go and stop pushing it all into me and just live in the fact that I have got to seek Jesus over seeking TVs or even books, even Christian books. I've got to seek Jesus. If I read this Bible to tell people I read the Bible today, then I failed. If I read this Bible to seek Jesus, then I'm succeeding. Then I'm getting somewhere. Then I'm growing. See, this unity is so much greater than being brought into a physical family. This is a spiritual forever family and the thing about that we have to understand guys we have to understand it today and here we have to understand it when we go out in this world and the world has to understand this and this is our biggest point of rejection from the world right now the biggest fights on tv about christians are against the homosexual agenda that's what everybody wants to pitch out there and throw up in our faces but the biggest fight the biggest rejection truly about who who we are as believers is there's only one way to god and that's through jesus christ that's through unity with christ he was not come here to rub people's backs he was a rebel he was he stood against what was norm he was he was not simple and meek and humble all the time he was mean and he was wild and he stood for his father heck he made people's feet stick to the floor he called people the devil when they didn't live for him he called Judas it. We just read it. Matter of fact, when Debbie and I were studying this passage a few weeks ago, preparing for this message when we were doing our own time, and we read that passage, she laughed out loud because it's funny to think of. But then I thought to myself, my sin causes Jesus to look at me that way until I have his righteousness. Because he is necessity for salvation, for righteousness, and for heaven. We must be holy and blameless before God, and we can only do that through justification of Jesus. He is the only way to have life. We must have Him. We must believe Him. We must receive Him as Savior and Lord. This is ultimately and finally and everlasting, and it's satisfied in Him alone. And until we are at a point to where we can say we are satisfied in Him alone, we better keep fighting. And you know, when I read Paul, and I think all the amazing things that Paul did and the things that he wrote in this book that God gave him to put down on paper to answer questions about spiritual and theological things, and in the end he says, I'm so far from it. We better be searching out Jesus daily especially if we want those who don't have a relationship with Jesus to ever come to know him. Belief in Jesus looks at him and is compelled and drawn to him. It believes in him in such a way that it can't get away. And he has all of our needs. Verse 35 in this chapter says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We have to ingest this living bread and drink up this, this drink of truth. Jesus is saying, love me, treasure me, seek me. I will quench all of your needs. He's saying, just stay connected. And if the Father beckons us to it, we will connect to Jesus. And did you hear what he said a minute ago? And I will raise them up on the last day. He's never going to turn his back on us. We don't ever lose that. Even when we were terrible at it, he's holding on to us. Verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the Father's ate, because manna came down from heaven. So he wants to make sure they're understanding that this is not this insufficient temporal, physical bread that they ate. He says, that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That is promise and that is hope, guys. That is our, that is our endearing hope forever. 
Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught. Verse 60. We have a little transition here. We begin to see things a little differently. Jesus begins to talk a little different. And we're going to hear an amazing testimony. But let's, let's break this down and see what can we add to the fact that we need him in our life to be so fully sufficient for us. Verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? These are Jesus' disciples. These are not the Jews now. These are not the religious leaders. These are those who are following him, saying they're seeking him. These are church people. Kind of. So this is an offensive thing that you said. Who can hear this and desire to obey anything like that? How in the world are we supposed to handle that? Essentially, they're saying, this is impossible to believe, and we don't want to believe this stuff, and we don't want to accept that you're from heaven. We just simply want you to take over. We are looking for a Messiah that is a king of physical world. We are not looking for a Messiah to connect us to God the Father. They're looking for someone to come in and take over. They're looking for the next Saul, the next major player in battle. They need another David that will kill thousands and ten thousands. That's what they're looking for. And Jesus is trying to tell them, that's not what this is. I'm laying down my life for you. And they can't understand that. When they say that we don't want to believe this and we're not sure about all that, basically they're looking at Jesus right in the face and saying, you are not the Messiah. You are not the Messiah. But Jesus and his super natural knowledge and his ability to know all things says in verse 61 Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this he said to them do you take offense at this then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before it is the spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life Jesus is saying I am the source of truth but has my message destroyed your interest in me When I think about that line, has my message destroyed your interest in me? I think about the church today. And I wonder if our message is so messed up and so thwarted and so twisted and and full of bad theology and bad concepts and people going, well, I don't want to believe this part, but I want to believe this part. And I'm going to go to church, but I'm also going to support all these other sinful activities that people are into. And I'm going to be okay with it. And it's not a big deal to me. I wonder if if that's our reasoning. Is that the reasoning that people come and they go, nah, I'm just, that, that message you're trying to send me, I'm not interested. Because they don't get to see Jesus. They get to see Christians who are supposed to look like Jesus. And when we're out there thinking it's okay to act and talk and, and behave any way we want to, to dress any kind of way we want to, to put anything in our ears and in our eyes that's okay, that the world deems okay, we're wrong. I don't care if you like that or not. I don't care if you like this from your pastor or not. You're wrong. You're wrong if you think, well, it's just music. Well, it's just this addictive behavior. Look at me. I'm overweight. I have an addictive behavior. I get it. I'm working on that too. We're all working at it. That's what I'm saying. Are we working at it? Well, that's just who he is. He has an attitude sometimes. No. Well, it ain't that big a deal. Well, I don't believe that this, this that you call a sin is a sin. Well, the translations of the Bible are messed up. That's why that word is a this, this certain way. And that we're wondering why the world can't see Jesus for who he was. 
It's because we don't see Jesus for who he was. And we don't search him out. We don't live for Jesus for who he was. We don't, we don't allow him to take us and make us who he was and who he is. He says, are you, are you, are you offended by me? And they were. This is about the Spirit. This isn't about flesh. This is where he clears it up, by the way. This is where he makes sure they understand it's just an analogy. It's a symbol. He says, this is about Spirit. The flesh is no help in this an opportunity. This is, when I say you must eat, I'm saying you must believe. I'm saying you must dive wholeheartedly, head on into this. If you're offended by my words, my deity, my plan to die for you, then what if I ascend straight to heaven, where I'm from? Would that make a difference? No, not to them it wouldn't have. It would have just been another magic trick. He said, the spirit is what you need to be after, not my flesh. I'm just using this to make, help you understand. The words of Jesus, his claims, are what we have to have faith in. Some people say, often, oftentimes I hear things like, well... If you just have enough faith to believe X, whatever X might be. Well, I have enough faith. I'm going to step out on faith. And I go, well, where is that faith based in? Because I want to tell you where we base our faith. Please don't use that terminology. If you're not basing it in scriptural faith, if you're not basing what you're saying in the words of Jesus or the writings that are in this word, don't be like, well, I'm stepping out on faith because I think Jesus does want me to have a Harley. (laughs) Somehow we'll pay the bill. Well, I'm stepping out on faith that we're going to do it. Whatever. Where do you get that? Where is that based in? Jesus right here is saying, he says it in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. That's where our faith is based. But these people, they cannot see that. He's telling, trying to explain to them that my, the spirit that is within us as the Godhead draws the life through, through, the, through my word and I am the word that is testifying to you and I am the one who dies and I am the son. You must have this word. Verse 64 says, but there are some of you who do not believe. And Jesus just looks at him and says it. And he said, this is why I told you that no one come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus points out once again, as we already studied in verses 37, 39, and 44 of the last two weeks, we've already studied this concept that we've already seen that God is sovereign and he is the sovereignty of our salvation. He is not just sovereign over when it rains and when it doesn't. He is, he is the God of all, including our salvation. He is the main player. And that's what Jesus is reminding them of here. Verse 66 says, After this, many of the disciples, many of his people, many of the people who had been following him, turned back and no longer walked with him. First John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us what we see right here we see jesus and these people who have claimed to seek him and don't like what he teaches and they walk away luke chapter 9 talks about this same place and he says that most of these people just walked away and went back to right right back to what they did before 
Some followed for a little while longer, maybe. We know that it's true, some did. But in the end, only 12 followed. Because Jesus wasn't the Messiah they'd expected. Is Jesus the Messiah you expect? What do you ask Jesus? What do you expect of him? Do you expect to seek him out and him to change who you are? Or do you expect him to answer to your wishes like a genie? He's not in a magic lamp. And that's what they were looking for. And Jesus says to the 12, verse 67, here's where I told you that the flesh becomes real on Jesus. And I can tell you as a pastor, and there's times where it doesn't hurt, but a lot of times when someone leaves the church, it hurts a pastor. It, it, it's, it's, you have, we have to think about it. We have to recognize why and come to terms with it. And it, it gets tough. And it's not always that way. Sometimes it's the right thing. Sometimes it's um, for the betterment of somebody's spiritual life. And when it's like that, hopefully most pastors, I, know, I can at least say this for myself, I love that. I'm not here to have 5,000 people so that people will tout my name around town and who I am. That's not what it's about. But nonetheless, it, it, it hurts when people walk away, when you feel like you're doing exactly what Jesus wants you to do. And that's why you hear Jesus right here. He says, do you want to go away as well? Really, he's asking, you won't also leave me, will you? Now, Jesus, here's where it's hard for us, okay? He's human, 100%. He's sovereign God, 100%. He knows the answers. But this is one of those instances, I just believe in Scripture, where Jesus, where God the Father allows the flesh of Jesus as a man to remind us that he understands us. He understands the pain that we deal with. He understands what it felt like to be sad and lonely. He understood humanity's abandonment. And he knows how to sympathize with us. He knows what we're going through. He knows how to reach down and touch us when we need it. He says, are you leaving too? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? He says, Master, who are we going to change our allegiance to? Another rabbi? He says, for you have the words of eternal life. Remember verse 63, it says, the words I have spoken to you are, life, are spirit and life. And in verse 69 he says, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Boom. Firm foundation conviction and belief right there it is you are the messiah you are the one that the prophets discussed you are the one that moses understood about you are the one who created israel by the wrestling match you had with jacob you are the one jesus that we've been searching for and we misunderstood who you were but this is who we know you are you have the words of eternal life With all those leaving. This would be an affirming concept right here we see in verse 7, and yet terrifying. Jesus said, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He says, I, I chose you, and all of you but one have believed in me because the Father has pulled you to me. What I see here, and I love this about church ideas and church planning and church growth, I think this little little verse right here can go a long way to encourage pastors. Because Jesus is saying, it's not about how many disciples are following me. It's about the kind of disciples that are following me. It's about those who are sold out for me, who I've called unto myself and who know me. 
And verse 71 obviously just tells us about Jesus' all-knowing powers. He says, Jesus, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he is the one of the twelve who is going to betray him. I want to conclude with two, well, two, two, two ideas and really maybe three. First, I want, to, I want to talk to those maybe who are not sure if they're in Christ. Maybe you don't feel like you're on the outside. I want you to know that you can be in Christ today if you believe and you trust and that he lived and he died and he bled for you. And in verse six, in chapter 6 here in verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And I want you to, be un- I want you to understand that if you're desiring that, it's because God the Father is calling you to do it. Now it's time for you to take the responsible act. For those of us who are know and, and walk in Christ and are knowingly living the life the best we can and, and are, we know that we've got the Spirit of Christ within us, I want us to be encouraged by our identity because it's provided for us through Christ. It's a new identity. Be encouraged that we are children of, children of God. We are sons and daughters. Be encouraged that we are cherished by Him. That His love is perfect and never changing. That nothing can separate us from Him. And that God Himself keeps us. Be encouraged that no matter what you look at in life, no matter what you think is going on, God's aware. And even when it spins into uncontrolled, at least we think so, He has complete control. Be encouraged that He knows exactly what we need. And he's offering it to him. Be encouraged that his plan is perfect. And I think we see that out of the first 10 verses, at 51 through, 50 through 60. And then I think out of 61 through 71, we see another concept. We see Jesus talking about the flesh and the spirit. And the first thing we see is that the work of God the Father and the Holy Spirit is, vit- is the vitality of our spiritual lives. It is what keeps us going. We have to seek out the Spirit. We have to be in tune with what the Holy Spirit does in our lives by seeking out the face of God and seeking out the face of Jesus and striving to live in those ways. Verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So when we are bought into this, the Spirit of God is our guide in all things. It is our, it is our, in our Scripture, in our prayer, in our life, the Spirit of God is our God. So make sure that we're tied into that. Make sure that we're striving to be part of that. Make sure that we're not just looking for what Jesus can maybe do for us. Make sure we're not focusing on the battles and the frustrations around us and the hardships. Make sure we're not looking at the feelings or worried about the, the maybes and the what's and the, and the what ifs. But instead on, on, on Jesus and who his spirit is. The second concept I see in here is the words of Peter. Wow. Man. Words of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? Listen to this testimony. You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter threw off all things at this moment. He threw off this possible lucrative fisherman life. He threw off his doubts. He threw off his fears. He threw off anything he was contemplating. He said, I'm all in. I'm jumping all in. Maybe this statement is why Peter later on walks on water. Maybe he said, you know what? I remember that statement. And I know who this is right here in front of me. I'm going to walk to him. He says, I'm all in. 
This is my confession. That I'm totally dependent on you, Jesus, because you are who you claim to be. Because we've been created to be all in. Because if you know Christ today, think about it for a moment. Think about those moments where you've been all in and what it was like. Think about those moments when we pull ourselves out. 